good enough. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we love, we love Donald Campbell, White of the Eye, greatest film, greatest film ever made. Yeah, Wild Side is a movie my uncle like made me watch. Is this your uncle who likes Jack Hill? No. <laughs> same. I mean, same side of the family. Same family. But I had disreputable cinephiles. My uncle knew I liked Christopher Walken, and he had a tape of Wild, oh, Wild, Wild Side. Side. And I was probably in like sixth grade. Yeah, he's like, you got to watch this, and you have to give it back. You can't keep it. <laughs> wow. Could you imagine if you'd kept it? Kept it. Yeah. If, if you kept it, <laughs> you'd be in big trouble if you kept it. You kept it? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, oh, I, spent, I spent an entire weekend just like, I, I didn't even like log everything I watched, but I just was like, I was just like watching nothing but gore. The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. Gentlemen, get the thing straight once and for all. We clear the streets along this route, deploy our men, and create an impassable barrier. A gauntlet, if you will. He will have a chance. I challenge you to a duel. Oh, well, the truth, this guy's starting to get on my It's hot out there. Let's, we all walk out there. Very, very, very hot. Open fire! Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Gauntlet. My name is Ryan Saunders, and I'm here today with... Eric Marsh. And... Andrew Stasiulis. This show is a <laughs> weekly... <laughs> What? <laughs> I try to do it a little different every time. I know. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sorry. This, this show. show. This show. <laughs> this show is a weekly double feature podcast in which one of us here picks a topic for the week, and then the other two have to pick films that react to that topic. And it was my turn this week to pick the theme. And I thought, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's October. We've been flirting a little bit with uh, some body horror in the realm of Jesus Christ with the passion of the Christ. And I thought, let's swim in that that red water a little bit more. Um, because I, I am particularly fond of blood and guts in cinema. It's long been a fascination of mine. I, my childhood was often picking up crazy-looking horror films from Blockbuster to, to watch with friends on sleepovers, and I've always had a deep affection for it. And when it gets to this time of year, I can't help myself. I just end up programming this kind of stuff throughout the month of October for Molly and I's enjoyment, and I love it. To me, it's one of the great, like, endlessly creative genres for cinema, I love to see all the different ways and all the different goopy and nasty approaches to, to de- destroying the human body on camera. Um, there's something humbling about it. There's something that makes me feel warm and makes me feel good uh, to see mountains of guts and buckets of blood. So that's what I challenged uh, the two of you to, to, to get me this week. And boy, oh boy, do we got it. We got buckets. We got piles of guts. And it's an interesting comparison, you know, because I think there's some two very, like, distinctly different vibes and approaches in certain respects. But there's many things that, that are in common in the, uh, the joyfulness 
of the bloodshed. So yeah, why don't we just jump right into it, Andy? You had the earlier of the two films. Tell us a little bit about the Splatterfest that you brought to the show. Certainly, but before I, I think I talk about that movie, I, I, I need to kind of explain my like journey a little bit like, to, <laughs> yeah. to it because um, I think I am I am probably more of a pure like you know gore freak like you or certainly have had more of that in my background than than maybe Marsh has. I know not that you don't like horror movies, but um, no, it's true. I think Ryan and I share that in common that we've we've probably pushed ourselves to to the limits a lot a lot more. Yeah. So I really was like, you know, the way you put it uh, as a, as a, as a challenge, I was I was sort of like game. You 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 really seemed like you wanted us to go like all in as deep as we could, and and you wanted some real yeah. sicko shit. So I I kind of I, I I went there. I went right to the threshold and was consulting people on letterboxd like who i know who are also like big fiends for for that kind of stuff particular not just horror but like really nasty stuff <laughs> yeah and and i got you know kind of tuned into some stuff that i was like oh my god <laughs> the more i read about some of this shit you know especially the things that seemed to, to come out of germany like i had no idea germany yeah. had so many freaks i mean well wow i should have known i should have known you know i i should have known right there's a lot of repression there that they're they're clearly dealing with um but man i i i will i will not lie i fully fucking chickened out on some of that stuff so so I kind of, I kind of went there, and then I was like, I don't know, man. I backed off. I backed off because there's some really, you know, a lot of that like DTV German stuff mm -hmm. um, seemed seemed just like, just 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 I, I don't I don't want to say without merit, but but I think I then thought to myself like, I, I want to try to find something that has a little bit more going on than just you know, just the, the like dismemberment and, 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 and blood and guts. So I wanted to find something that was gory, but maybe something that, that would, would, would have a little bit more to, to explore other than like, you know, that this filmmaker should be locked up somewhere, uh -huh. you know? Um, so then I think when I kind of sort of backed off of that, that precipice, I, I really just kind of, my brain just kept going to, to one of the greats, one of the one of the directors who I've always seen as one of the the masters of um, very kind of like nasty nasty horror, and that director would be someone who has visited the halls of the gauntlet before, the great. Lucio Fulci. He made oh, an appearance that. Yeah. during our Jolly episode yeah. when we were looking at uh, uh, that that cursed Valentine's episode we did on uh, on Giallo films. Uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Yep. That was the one we watched, right. right? And I remember at the time because I hadn't seen that one before, being sort of like, "Oh, this is good," but I I guess my I hadn't seen it before, right? So my thing was always like, I remember Fulci being a lot nastier than, than this movie, and and it certainly was a little bit earlier in his career, right? After that movie, he would go all in on some of his films. So I had Fulci on the brain, and as I thought about which film to bring. Uh, I realized that there is one that I'd, I'd, I'd long been meaning to see but hadn't seen. I, I knew, Ryan, that there are quite a few of his 
that you really like um, and have seen, and, and I share your sentiments. You know, things like The Beyond, City of the Living Dead. Uh, you've seen New York Ripper, right? No. Uh, oh, you haven't seen that one? You've seen Banger. New York Ripper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, vile stuff, right? But, but those, I think, are the more, like, well-known ones. I turn to one that I, I think outside of true, like, Fulci aficionados doesn't really get a lot of mention. That would be one of his final directorial outings made uh, at a time in his life when he was very under the weather, and, and we'll certainly talk about that and the result of it. But it is a film, in many respects, that uh, has been kind of described as his eight and a half or his F for fake, a self-reflexive gore film. That is... A Cat in the Brain, a.k.a. Cat in the Brain, a.k.a. What was it? Nightmare Concert. Nightmare Concert, <laughs> dude. I love the Italians so much, dude. You know? <laughs> I especially love that there's a cat in the brain, a.k.a. Cat in the Brain. Like, there was one time where they dropped the A, you know? They were right. Like, Just Cat in the Brain. Dropped the fun. A, it's cleaner. Yeah, or whatever, right? So, So that film is from 1990. Written by Lucio Fulci, directed by Lucio Fulci, and starring Lucio Fulci as Dr. Lucio Fulci. <laughs> uh, are you following me? Here? <laughs> are you with me here, folks? So, Fulci plays Dr. Lucio Fulci, which, of course, is a joke, right? He's playing himself. He's playing... Uh, Lucio Fulci, the film director. And as the movie opens, um, well, I mean, the opening is one thing, right? But I guess it's the, the grand story opening <laughs> opens. We'll get to the specific kind of like opening. But um, the film opens with Fulci sort of uh, struggling. You know, he's working. He's, he's working very hard to produce the kinds of films he has been producing, certainly later in his career, you know, just nasty horror shit. And he's noticing strange occurrences. He's having uh, difficulty uh, differentiating between what's real, what isn't real, what's a movie, and what might actually be happening in his real life. Uh, in, in this case, specifically, like people getting chopped up brutally. And he starts to think, man, am I going crazy? Have I just suddenly gotten so uh, poisoned by the stuff that I've produced that now I'm, 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 I'm like having some sort of like uh, disassociative episode where I'm going out there and, and killing people. He, he is on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And at this point, he sort of stumbles into a psychiatrist who apparently lives like right next door to him, more or less. Yeah. And he sees this psychiatrist and is like, maybe this guy can help me because nothing else seems to work. He goes to the psychiatrist and basically says, doctor, doctor, help me. You know, doctor to doctor, I am, uh, I'm, I'm struggling here. And uh, I think I'm losing my mind. The doctor, of course, explains to him that he isn't. And the best thing uh, he sees in, in treating this issue would be hypnosis. 
Unfortunately for Dr. Lucio Fulci, he uh, he's dealing with a false doctor. He's yeah. dealing he's dealing <laughs> he's dealing with a a much more demented actual sicko who uses hypnosis to uh, to basically gaslight uh, Fulci into thinking that he is a serial killer when in fact this psychiatrist. Uh, Dr. Egon Schwartz, is that what his name is? Dr. Egon <laughs> Schwartz. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Well, that's what the plaque said, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, is the actual, like, you know, maniacal uh, mass murderer. And so he's going to use Fulci to kind of, like, cover up his crimes and then, and then you know, make Fulci believe he did it and turn him into the fall guy, right? So that's the basic oh. plot uh, that becomes then a vessel for... Essentially, Fulci reflecting on his career as, you know, one of the the preeminent uh, auteurs of the video nasty era. It's a very bizarre film for a lot of reasons. First of all, I should talk about the tone. Uh, This is... For Fulci, this is a, a comedy, right? So you're, you're dealing with a Lucio Fulci attempt at, at a comedy. Uh, and for him, he was very excited to get back to his original genre because apparently that's how he started his career, was was making these very sort of broad Italian comedic farces. It, dude, he directed like 30 comedies in like the 50s oh, or yeah. whatever. You know? Yeah, he was a big comedy guy. And then it was like later in his career, you know? I mean, the, the Italian industry is obviously a fascinating place and directors go where the winds would often carry them, where the, the, the dollar I heard him say <laughs> that, you know, his, a buddy told him that you can make more money in, you know, in like slasher thriller films. Sure. At a certain point he was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 You know, they are a very pragmatic folk, the, the Italian studio director. Yes. You know, we've discussed them before. We'll discuss them again, I'm sure. But But yeah, you know, Fulci was, I, I should point out, you know, he was he was pretty ill by the time he started directing this. So this movie's construction um, has some very curious elements to it in that a lot of it was not actually filmed for this production. He's incorporating footage from films that he previously directed around this time. Um, you know, DTV shit and and stuff that didn't get theatrical releases. Um, just really bad movies that he was working on. Uh, and we can kind of talk about that and that process. I'm sure that's going to be a big part of like our conversation, like the effect that that has. Um, but also films that he didn't direct, films that that other people had directed that he had kind of. Uh, quote, supervised or assisted. You know, I, I'm sure at this point he was sort of just a gore guru. He's a guy that would come in and, and just kind of be like, yeah, maybe maybe, uh, maybe her guts fall out or whatever. More you know? worms. <laughs> yeah, more worms, dude. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> more fog, more worms. So it, it has a very, like, odd pacing, and there are moments where it is so very, very, very clear that Things have been stitched together which shouldn't be stitched together, and um, that is that is you know very very obvious to us in, in the audience. But you know I don't necessarily think that that is a bad thing or a mark against the film, especially considering 
the self-reflexive quality of the film and that he is hallucinating and he is imagining himself in various scenarios, you know? Um, regardless, it's a strange, wonky, um, uh, very, 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 like, odd, curious little film. And, you know, I will say uh, it is loaded from start to finish with... The good stuff. Lots of gore. Yes, it some is. Some very good moments of gore. Some very sort of shaky moments of gore. <laughs> but but it's there. There are decapitations. There are disembowelments. People getting their eyes bashed out of their skulls. Guys getting run over. People set on fire. People getting drowned. I mean, you've got it all oh, yeah. in this movie. And, and I knew, at least in that regard, when I was sort of thinking about what to pick... That, that this would hopefully scratch that itch. And for folks, both you and Marsh, who I knew were Fulci fans, I kind of feel like this is one to see, you know, as his swan song of sorts. I mean, he would continue to make films for a couple more years, but people sort of see this kind of as like his goodbye film uh, in, in certain respects. So, yeah, that is the bloody, messy, um, surreal, a cat in the brain. Yeah, it's a smorgasbord of brutal and bloody delights. Uh, the amount of heads that are coming off in, in both of these films was a real, real pleasure for me. Um, that was something I, I definitely walked away from. Did you guys watch the film in English or in Italian? Just curious. Italian. I watched it in English. You did? Okay. I, I hopped back and forth at the beginning and then like stuck with the Italian just because I thought that, I don't know if Fulci recorded his own voice in either language, um, but it felt weird watching him speak in English. But um, My rule is uh, I always just use the language where it's set, you know? So if I'm watching mm -hmm. City of the Living Dead, I'm watching it in English. If I'm watching Black Cat, they're in England, so I'm watching it in English. But here... <laughs> They're at Chinachita, so I'm watching it in Italian. That's, right. that's good. I, uh, I, you know, I don't really know why I chose English. Um, I think I watched it in English because it felt like that was the way they intended it to be distributed, maybe. But um, a couple of the key players in the film are speaking English, like the therapist is. He actually looks like he's speaking English for most of it. Like he does look like he's attempting English. Um, and again, maybe probably part of the reason why they didn't use his voice in either situation is because like <laughs> yeah. his accent was probably like horrible. Sure. Like, if you look at his mouth, there are times when he's definitely speaking English. Maybe he would switch depending on who in the film he was talking to. That's kind of what I guessed because I had a really hard time telling. The old Leone method. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It always looked wrong, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of funny. But so, yeah. Marsh, your film had some some production sounds. So tell us a little bit about uh, yes. what you brought this week. Well, I also have a rambling story like Andy, but it's very interesting because it actually, wow, you'll, you'll see. So uh, first things first, uh, I'm, I'm trying new things recently, you know. Last week, I selected the, uh, a film immediately, the first film I thought of. Uh, and this week, um, you know, like you said, I've seen a lot of gory stuff in my life, but I don't really seek it out the way you two do. Um, and so I asked Twitter, 
what's the bloodiest film you've ever seen? You know, I never do that. I never ask the internet for, for help picking films. Consult the oracles. But I was curious, you know, and I got a lot of good responses and, and some of them seemed really scary, you know, so I was like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, um, yeah. and a lot of them, of course, truth be told, uh, Ryan had seen, you know, so right, uh, that's part that's, of the challenge. That was part of the challenge as well. And a film was suggested to me by Sean Gilman uh, that is made by a director that I first encountered 19 years ago, in the heady days of, of 2004, which is interesting because that's like the peak of my uh, sort of like interest in this kind of movie. You know, when I was 18, 19, moved to Chicago, I'm going to Facets. I'm renting Takashi Miike. You know, I'm like... The testosterone coursing through your veins. I'm getting <laughs> like the, the craziest shit I can find um, at this point, you know? And it's interesting because actually one of my formative experiences at Facets was freshman year of college. Me and a couple friends went to Facets and we were going to rent Zombie. And we were like stoked about it. And we went to check out. And in like the most classic, like old school Facets fashion, the clerk is like, you don't want this. <laughs> And we were like, what do you mean? And he's like, you want Argento. Oh. And we were like, okay, like, what's the, di you know, what, why, why, or whatever. And I, I don't remember what he said, but we walked out of there with Deep Red. Okay. And we were, we were there to rent Zombie. And we hadn't seen Deep Red. We were noobs, you know? And I fell in love with it. And I fell in love with Argento. And that was when I became not a Fulci guy, but an Argento guy, <laughs> you know? And of course, over the years, I've, I've caught up with Lucio and, and seen quite a bit of his work now, but it, it just threw me back to that moment of divergence yeah. when I could have gone one way. What would have happened, my man? But I went another way, you know? And that same year, I saw in theaters, three extremes, the omnibus or whatever, a three director. Yeah. It's new it's, extreme. It's Mike Fruit. Chan and Park Chan-wook. Mm. And it's, you know, three extremes. It was the height of that sort of cycle, you know, new French extremity, extreme horror, early 2000s, gnarly stuff, uh, very neatly packaged, you know. Uh, and that was my first encounter with Fruit Chan, who is the director of the film that I ended up choosing. I buried the lead. I'm sorry. I no, it's great. No, <laughs> it's fine. And yes, in Three Extremes, uh, Fru Chan made the short version of Dumplings, which he would later expand into a feature. Uh, but if I recall, it's about a woman who makes uh, dumplings out of aborted fetuses so she can live forever. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, classic movie. It utterly repulsed me. Um, more than the other two, you know, Mika's is actually very artful and Park Chan-wook's is very distasteful uh, and violent. Um, but anyway, I, I was there, man, you know? Uh, so I thought that would be special to sort of, you know, go back to a director who I just sort of randomly encountered in those gore heavy days of the early two thousands. And that's what I did. So, uh, shout out to Sean. Thanks for the recommendation. Uh, he suggested, Coffin Homes from 2021, written and directed by Fred Chan. It is a Hong Kong film, uh, a horror comedy about real estate. Um, 
It also, yes, very interestingly, uh, has a lot of splatter that is not just red, although there's quite a bit of red splatter. Uh, there's splatter of all kinds of colors, which was sort of part of the initial pitch to me, and I was like, I gotta see this, you know? Not every day that you see uh, purple blood and blue blood and yellow blood flying out of ghosts and zombies or whatever the hell's going on in this movie. Um, it is, you know, like, uh, I think, his genre work. It, it's sort of a social commentary, you know. He sort of has had two lives as a, a director, one as this. I mean, he's considered the first independent filmmaker in, in Hong Kong because he broke from the system in the mid-'90s and did his trilogy, but he also makes genre films. And so um, this is, of course, uh, leaning heavily into the genre. Um, Originally, it was supposed to be a drama, but the pandemic happened, and for some reason, his producers were like, we can actually get money now and make it if you turn it into a horror film. Um, part of that was also they could then bypass the mainland censors uh, and just get it made quickly and cheaply because horror was sort of in in like the slow pandemic filmmaking days. And he was like, okay, great. And all of a sudden just rewrote the script with a bunch of ghosts and a bunch of gore instead of like kind of a sad drama that I think it was supposed to be. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, it it's hard to describe, I guess. It's kind of a network narrative. There's sort of three main plot lines all involving real estate. One about a wealthy family and their sort of inheritance. Another about a real estate agent who uh, is kind of like homeless, but living in like the flats that he's selling uh, and his sort of hustle and bustle. And then an actual uh, sort of like coffin flat, as they call it, which is a subdivided apartment where uh, way too many people live extremely cramped together in these uh, carved up apartments, which of course is a uh, very real and horrible thing that uh, has been going on in, in Hong Kong. So um, from there, we get a mixture of, yeah, like, I don't know, man, uh, lots of <laughs> violence. I mean, yeah, it opens with a, a total sort of like gore fest as this family is trying to uh, sort of swindle their dying mother out of her real estate. And this old woman gets up out of her wheelchair and starts massacring her entire family. And so you're like, oh, okay. I get, I get it, you know, I get this movie. It's going to be people hacking each other up over real estate because, of course, Hong Kong, uh, probably the worst place, worst real estate market in the world, right? It's too dense, it's too expensive, it's a bad time, you know? So that's sort of the concept of the film. We'll get into the details, but yes, it, it, it has a lot of splatter, it's got heads rolling, and in fact, it's got heads bowling. One of my favorite <laughs> gags I've ever seen. Um, yeah, we'll get into it. That's Coffin Homes. <laughs> There's a lot to get into. <laughs> yes, certainly. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you both. Um, well, it certainly scratched the itch, you know? Uh, I was looking for blood and guts. I certainly got blood and guts. I've actually seen Yellow Blood before. It's in one of my all-time favorite films can can either of you think of the film that really heavily features yellow blood off the top of my head i cannot no it's the it's the phantasm series the the tall man oh, his blood is is yellow and there's a great sequence where they stick like 
embalming fluid into him and he bursts and there's a bunch of yellow blood that also comes out with that but like when they chop his finger off he's got like little yellow blood in his fingy very nice i like yellow as as one of the alternate blood colors i think blue is kind of fun too but if i had a hierarchy of like alternate to red yellow is probably near the top i don't know how you guys feel i mean green is it looks like piss yeah Yeah, i was gonna say (laughs) what would freud say (laughs) right right well so it's funny when the when I pitched the topic initially last week, one of the things I had said was I would give out like a pumpkin guts prize for my favorite kill, and it's tough because there's some great kills in both films, but there's also a, like one of the things that that linked these films for me in a funny way was that they both commit you know, crimes that make it difficult for me to bestow like a big prize on them. These are like arbitrary joke Ryan crimes, but you know, it's like, okay, the, you know, could the best kill belong to a cat in the brain? It's like, well, it's tough. He's stealing kills that he did in other films. Like how many of these kills were original to, to this film specifically? And that was kind of a barrier. And then Marsh, I must admit your film I really had fun with both of them. I like them both. You both did a great job. But Marsh, your film does commit like my number one sin of of horror films, and that's there is some CGI blood in it. Yeah, that to me has like always been like the the ultimate unforgivable thing a director can do in a horror film because blood is so inexpensive and it's so easy to rig and just squirt everywhere. Isn't it only CGI in the scene with the child though? At the no. end. Okay. In the opening, a lot of CGI oh, yeah. in the opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, it was interesting. I will admit, I'll confess, at the opening, I had a harder time telling. There was a lot of CGI in the opening, but it seemed like a lot of the spraying blood was coming from a hose. But it's really, it's a, it's primarily noticeable, yeah, at the end with the child. So maybe that had something to do with well, it. Well, I just assumed like... they weren't going to be, like, spraying that kid in the face with blood. Well, and also, too, this film is a, is a COVID film. I mean, this is sure. one of the most COVID films I've ever seen. Like, oh, yeah. there are scenes with people with masks. Everyone in Hong Kong in the background has a mask on. Like, clearly, if this was released in 2021, it was, yeah, shot in, in a, a very sort of severe environment in terms of of restrictions and it is a shoddily made film you know as as inspired as it is uh yeah i mean it looks like shit and and that didn't detract from me really you know because it does have this like gross digital feel to it but yeah it didn't feel like they had a lot of time or money or anything they just kind of went for it uh and that includes yes the the industry standard of lazy visual effects yeah yeah maybe we should get that like just we could like shake this off at the beginning so we don't have to linger on it too much but coffin homes looks just dreadful like really (laughs) shoddy looking film i mean it was crazy even from the beginning beyond covid restrictions they were shooting at a few different frame rates and it all got rendered out really weird there's like a couple shots that like are just at the incorrect frame rate and there's like stuttering frames a minor issue but it's it's kind of like how did that even happen like who yeah, this is a very COVID film. It kind of reminded me of the new Mission Impossible movie where that film also like distinctly feels like a COVID production because the whole thing is just a bunch of isolated close-ups. This film has got more people kind of crammed together and interacting with each other. But in terms of resources, yeah, it's it's a rough thing to look at. It reminded me so much of when I was programming features for the Chicago Film Festival and I had like all the Chinese films 
that I had to sift through. And this, I mean, it looks like all of those, you know, it's a distinct sheen of just very cheap Chinese cinema shot digitally with a really just like flat lighting but i will say the makeup's a lot of fun it's really inspired i like its anarchic energy i enjoyed coffin homes but yeah it's it's you know it doesn't have the the grungy refinement of something like cat in the brain yeah but let's let's be fair too i mean uh, a cat in the brain has a lot of moments you know shot on film where things <laughs> are clearly stitched together that that don't belong together and and you can see at times very distinct differences in like film stock quality uh you know some things are extremely within a single scene they're like doing cross cuts you know back and forth between things yeah that, i love when he starts seeing you know, he's like hallucinating, but he's just seeing other films. And it's just like, yeah, the the difference in stock and tone and colors is, is, is all off, you know? But then it's like, he's seeing this. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, you know? I mean, like, you know, let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's be honest, right? I mean, if this movie was made, you know, 20 years later, it would have been shot on digital and probably run into the same issues oh, yeah. that, that, yeah. you know... Fru Chan is running into in, in his film. Uh but yeah, at at the very least, you are you are at least correct in that it is uh it is all practical. It is all practical in in the gore realm. And there's certainly, I think, a mixed bag in terms of its quality. Again, you can tell probably some of the productions had a little bit more um, skilled craftsmen on it who were were really kind of paying attention. Uh and there are other moments of the practical effects that are are just so uh, phony baloney that it is uh, it is it is laughable at times. But it's it's it, it, regardless, it's still very very messy. It's still very very gory. It's still very very bloody. Regardless, you know. Yeah. But it is it is also I think in in the spirit a, a shoddily made film in the sense that you know having just the other day watched City of the Living Dead, which is like. Eleg an elegant film of yeah. beautiful tracking shots and great setting and mood. And this film is very basic, oh, yeah. very crude, you know, <laughs> uh, assuming that, yeah, you know, I think all of the, the major kills, I mean, I guess there's a couple things that they shot for this, but really it's just like shots of Fulci walking around a lot of the time. And there's no fanfare uh, like those earlier films that clearly have those resources but from what i understand he made this film while he was working on two other films so technically <laughs> he was directing three films at once yes and that's part of it too a lot of the scenes in this film are from those two movies and a lot of the like actors are, he's just pulling them off those sets to then be in this film. Like the bearded guy he runs down in his car is like the lead from the movie. Um, so it's like insane to think that, yes, this man was basically like kind of dying, uh, directing three movies, <laughs> three movies at once. Uh, yeah. You know what's funny is people people have described this as, oh, this is this is this is Fulci's eight and a half or or Fulci's F for fake, you know, but this this my experience watching it. I saw another movie that I was like, no, this is this is Fulci's Fulci's all that jazz. 
this is what this movie is to me, you know? Because if you think about that movie, right, it's like Fosse reflecting on his, like, overworked quality. And the movie is about him, like, making things and dying and going from one set to another, you know? It's about a man that needs a vacation. It's right. It's about a man that, like, needs a fucking break, you know? And, like, I kept going back to all that jazz. And in a sense, all that jazz is is sort of reflecting on Fosse's greatest hits throughout his career. But, but yeah, also, like, working himself to death. And that's, that's very much, I think what, what Fulci is, is, is getting at here while also, of course, you know, um, sort of in his own, like very, very like deadpan, dark comedic way. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't call this like, you know, I mean, in a sense, it's like an apology, but it's not really an apology. It's it's more of like uh, um, uh, his confessions, if you will, right? His his sort of his confessions to his to his many many crimes, and and yeah, I mean, I have to be honest, like. <clears throat> I loved this movie. I loved this movie. It is uh, a mess, as we've discussed. It is very uneven. It is very shaky. But I think I loved it as a Fulci fan. And and I don't know, you know, if somebody like wasn't familiar, super familiar with Fulci, I don't know if they would necessarily probably appreciate it on that same level. I feel like this is a movie that that works so well if you know about him and if you're familiar with his movies because the thing that is most enjoyable for me are those scenes that you described which is just him plodding around looking like elmer fudd looking like elmer fudd (laughs) as just a sad sack miserable guy i mean one of the first one of the first moments of just his like absolute like just like you know just the depths of his kind of like depression like he leaves the 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 set of one of the various films that he's working on at Chinachita which is another cool quality of the film you get to kind of like ooh peek behind the curtain at Chinachita a little bit you yeah, know busy bees yeah little busy bees and and he's sort of like walking out to his car he's on like a lunch break and he pulls out a cigarette and he just looks miserable <laughs> and then we get our first like well not our first voiceover but we get some voiceover where he says like che fumerò a fare poi non mi piace neanche più mi fa malissimo why am i smoking i don't even enjoy it anymore bad for me and he just like throws the cigarette down you know and gets in his car <laughs> like this is the energy of of most of that movie and i fucking ate it up i loved it yeah to be honest i wish there was a lot more of it that throughout the film i kept wishing it, it kind of used some of the other films in like the middle to late half of it. They were like using the footage from the other films a little bit as a crutch. I, I wanted it to constantly be cutting back to him because anytime he's just looking shocked at images that he himself has created at another point or at least was involved with in some capacity, that is when the film is at its most charming. The, the befuddled Fulci just wandering around is is unforgettable. That is the <laughs> film's purest pleasure. I didn't realize though that's... That kind of opens the film up a little bit more for me that he was shooting these scenes for it like concurrently with those other two films. I, in for some reason, the way I had kind of like interpreted this was that those films didn't do particularly well. So he decided to raid them of some of its 
vile imagery just to bring into this thing. But it is that makes this feel more appealing than in the sense that this was a project he was working on and had had like a long term vision of it while he was producing those other films. Because I will say, you know, there were times where I thought, you know, there, we're, we're seeing scenes from these other completed films and then we get the behind the scenes and him on set where I couldn't help but think, I'm like, hold on, like this, this actually looks too good. Because there were moments, of course, where there's warring film stock, but there are some times when they go then behind the scenes and we see him directing some of these sequences mm-hmm. where my reaction was, I can't believe how good he recreated <laughs> the set of that movie. And now I just know that it was the set. It of was that movie. the set. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I want to share with you something I read in uh, in a book called uh, Beyond Terror, the films of Lucio Fulci. Mm. Um, it was interesting. The author does not think highly of this film uh, and says it has a poverty of imagination. But there's some really good nuggets in there where, first of all, Fulci complained until he died that Wes Craven ripped him off, which is true. With New, New Nightmare. Nightmare. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Fulci was, would tell anyone who would listen that, like, Wes Craven stole my idea, <laughs> um, which is funny. Another nugget is that he claimed that he did, wasn't supposed to be in the role, but the actor didn't show up. And so he just thrust himself in and said if David Cronenberg can play the villain in Nightbreed, then I can be in this film. <laughs> that was his, like, rationale. Hell yeah, yeah dude. Which is awesome. Yeah. It is awesome. Um, and so what's interesting is uh, Stephen Thrower, the author of that book, he compares, you know, he compares this film to New Nightmare and then links it to not necessarily horror films, but, like, the tradition of the self-reflexive, self-starring film, like Testament of Orpheus, Last of England, Holy Mountain, Deconstructing Harry, mm-hmm. all that jazz, eight and a half. Uh, he does say, of course, that uh, this film for him has a, has a lack of actual self-reflection, which I, I don't necessarily agree with, because to your point, Andy, I think it's commenting on him as a director, but it is completely devoid of like personal anything else. And he had a very mm-hmm. fucked up and sad life. Doesn't want to bring that to the fore. That's fine. You know? And the, the, uh, the critique is like, yes, about his life as a director. It's not about what he does necessarily at home. And although we see him at home microwaving things, which is <laughs> yeah. a scary I thought. Mean, you he's know? probably like, what do you want to see at home? I sit around like bored, like waiting to like. Well, and know? that's the thing, because this guy also highlights what he says for him is like the best scene is when he shows up late to shooting and they're shooting without him. Yes. And that. Yeah. It's like is such a fucking vibe because that is so personal. This guy who is getting old and going like I am replaceable. I'm just I'm just replaceable to these people. Of course, you know. Well, and that was going on. I mean, yeah. like at at the time, I mean, it literally was happening to him where he was obviously yes, he was sick. I mean, there's like a long crazy tradition of Italian directors having like big outputs and then like dying at like 64 and like he died like I think it was 68 when he died or something like that but 
Um, I mean, he was basically like dying now. I mean, he's falling apart yeah. and, and like broke you and know. broke. Yeah. And, and so, you know, he, there were a lot of films where they were still some cachet around his name. So they wanted him to be involved in a very like, yeah, Italian, like, you know, uh, huckster kind of way of being like, this is a Lucio Fulci movie. But, but really he was just kind of hanging out on set and giving some input here and there, but they were still like marketing movies as, you know, Lucio Fulci films. So like, you're right in that moment, like knowing that background, this is why I think, again, it's sort of like, if you don't know much about Fulci, if you don't know much about his career, there are moments that are poignant but only if you kind of have some background, I guess in that regard, yeah, he's not like explaining these things, but once you kind of are aware of them, like Ryan being like, oh my God, he was actually doing all this stuff at the same time. It's like, yeah. And like he was showing up and they were like, we already shot everything. And he's like, oh yeah. Like, yeah. Like, sorry. I was like asleep or whatever, you know, I've, I've got diabetes really bad. And, <laughs> and that was all going on. And, and that's what I kept like, like just, I was so in love with, again, these scenes that we're talking about that are just him like wandering around Chinachita, like in and out, seemingly like in the middle of like scenes, you know, like they're not even done shooting and he's already kind of just like, I'm going to lunch by myself or whatever, you know, like. Yeah, they break for lunch and then he, after lunch, he goes home. Yeah. <laughs> going to be back to Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it is. In that regard, I feel like it's very self-reflexive that he's basically saying like, and he more or less even has that kind of dialogue with himself. Just like, why am I even here? Why am I even doing any of this shit anymore? It's the smoking thing. Like, why am I doing this? I don't even enjoy it anymore. It's bad for me. He's talking about making movies. Like, this is killing me. I should be like nursing my, like, my foot or whatever, you know? I love the part when he's like, Nazism, sadism. I mean, what is the point? <laughs> you know? He's just yeah. freaking out. Yeah. You know? and he's just like muttering it to himself. Sadismo, nazismo, certo. Nazismo, sadismo. Ma di cosa sta parlando? Niente, non si preoccupi. Well, it's funny that, you know, to thinking about how self-reflexive it is, I think he shouldn't be so hard on himself because if he feels really worn out, I think there are still like really productive ends to the energy that he had because I think the gore in the film is very impressive, even in what seemed to be some lesser efforts of his. Um, I I do think that the carnage we see on display in Cat in the Brain is, is decidedly nasty. And yeah, sure, it's like hit or miss sometimes, but ultimately it all evokes something. And I... Th- and I think a really like accomplished way from from yeah from a master and i think these two films actually just to kind of comment on the quality um and texture of of the blood and guts in them they both in a way evoke two distinctly different types of blood and guts that i i kind of like in in films that if i had to come up with a shorthand it would kind of be hot and cold so the the gore in coffin homes it feels like cold gore in the sense of it's kind of all resembling the type of carnage and destruction you would see in a haunted house 
where it's it's very theatrical. There's a lot of like plastic to it and rubber, which I really enjoy. And it's also lots of like hoses, like spurting hoses of blood, where it's it's sprinklers of blood all around the room, and in everyone's makeup too, especially the ghouls in coffin homes. The fact that their faces are caked with green makeup and they have like red eyes they have like contact lenses in there it it's cheap in a really appealing way where you feel as though you're at a fall festival heading into a community haunted house and that's the way that everyone is decked out it has like a distinctly ghoulish halloween atmosphere but then with fulci films i've always thought of his gore as so foul because it, it feels warm it everything feels as though it's decomposing uh, in, in heat, in like a sweltering room, you can smell it. You know, yeah. I, whenever I think of Fulci films, I think of the way the gore smells. And, and, and there's something about his films in particular where I love practical gore effects. We all we all know this. And I always want to. I love the the texture of it. I'd love to touch it. I love the idea of making it and like getting it ready. I love how slimy it all is. But there's something about Fulci films always the gore in his films i don't want to touch it like it's it's too nasty like there's a particular moment especially in cat in the brain where there's a severed head that in classic fulci fashion is crawling with maggots and the the flesh is decaying it's all very wet and a man kisses the head he like moves a maggot out of the way to give it a little kiss and that was like truly foul because <laughs> that's when I was really coming to terms with it where I was like, ooh, like I don't even want to be the prop master on a Fulci film. It's too gross. And then oh, yeah. the idea of being asked to, to smooch some of those effects. Icky, icky, Come icky, on. icky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, wasn't wasn't his real innovation in the 70s the fact that like not only were his effects like that, but he just held the camera on them longer than anyone else? I mean, yeah. Like, that's kind of his thing, you know? Just like... He lingers. Yeah, and honestly, I was looking away a lot. I I don't have a stomach for it anymore. I do not, you know? I used to be able to, like, no problem, but I'm a weak old man. And I was like, (laughs) I'm covering my eyes during some of this. Like, it's so fucking... I mean, even the super fake shit sometimes gets me. Like, when the the one guy in in one of the movies is, like, hacking that woman's face, like, ripping her face off. You know? yeah, yeah, and it's like so fake, and yet I'm like gonna barf yeah. still, you know. That was the worst. That one is is so gross. Like when he whacks her on the head so hard that her eyeball falls out, yeah. and then she still gets up and runs away. That is some next level carnage. I didn't like that. Yeah, no, it, it's upsetting. <laughs> you know, again for 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 Fulci heads, that is. Uh, uh, a a trademark of his uh, that in yeah. almost all of his films, his horror films, there's something related to like an eye being destroyed. Like he's mm-hmm. he loves that. That's one of his like favorite buttons to push is is the eye shit. And I gotta say, like of all the kind of uh, types of like physical, you know, violence you'll see in gore movies. I have to say, like the eye stuff always like fucks me up. You know, like it, in zombie, there's the the woman who, you know, one of the zombies like grabs her head and just slowly like shoves her eye into like a, a splinter, right. on, like a broken door or something like that, and that is just. 
Yeah, it's it's awful. Like the eye shit always fucks me up. Yeah, eye shit and fingernail shit. That's always the it's the stuff that is tactile and you can imagine what it might feel like. Cause the you know getting your leg cut off, you don't really know what that would feel like. But if you had a fingernail ripped off, you can kind of imagine. You may have like clipped your fingernails a little too close. You know, you may have rubbed your eye a little too much. You can, yeah, I've been poked you, in the eye before. It's exactly. not fun. <laughs> yeah, I did love that scene though when he's reviewing some footage that involves eyes, and he's not satisfied, and he's got like a bowl of fake eyes, and he's yeah. trying to determine like which of these like really gets the point across. <laughs> yeah, it's like another joke, right? It's like he he's already playing with this whole like. Yeah, people know I, I love eye stuff, so let's have a moment where I'm just like, these eyes are crap, you know? Like, none not of these eyes are... enough. Yeah, they're not good enough, you know? And they're just, like, spilled all over the floor, all these, like, <laughs> fake eyes. That do look great, in my opinion, you know? They, love, they all look gross, that's for sure. But, yeah, you know, like, I, I also wanted to get your take, because you guys are both big cat men on, of course the opening of the film. You know, if there's a criticism that often gets leveled at this film, it's that it delivers too quickly on its its titular uh, bit of gore and then never really seems to, to get back to it. So what did you guys make of that whole opening uh, uh, a bit of nastiness there? I enjoyed it. I liked watching the cats eat the brains. It was a striking image. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm a bigger fan of. And I need your take on this. We get an overhead shot of a man at work at his desk, and he's writing a screenplay about a woman being chopped to pieces by a chainsaw, and it's Lucio Fulci. And we're overhead, and the camera starts zooming and zooming, and the titles continue, and it's zooming, and it just zooms into his bald spot as he's writing this just (laughs) horrific screenplay. And again, you know, sorry, Stephen Thrower, you don't think there's anything personal in here? What about that shot, you know? Absolutely, dude. (laughs) It's a fantastic dissolve, dissolving from the bald spot to what must be a pile of brains for these cats to be munching on. Because I also like the assumption then that that is of course his brain and then it's then imagining all those cats to scale that his head has got like a bunch of tiny cats that are clawing at his brain as he's coming up with all these horrifying scenarios yeah and they're like they're what we should point out they're not real cats folks they are they're very clearly like puppets <laughs> that they're right. just like you know getting absolutely covered in in like fake fake blood and brains which is which is great but yeah that whole opening where he's just like yeah he's just muttering like as he's scribbling away you know like mm, woman gets head torn off mm, someone gets b- boiled in water <laughs> you know he's just like muttering <laughs> these horrible things and it's like you said like yeah he's writing a screenplay but like what the hell yeah. is he writing all he's doing is just like listing off you know, these these sort of like fantasies of violence. Yeah, as his as his like literal brain is is being devoured. You know, there are very clever to me moments in terms of the editing. You know, I mean, you guys both know, like I I, I love movies that that sort of play with, you know, yeah, the 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 confusion between like what's real and what isn't real and like how did we suddenly get here, you know? I mean, there's almost a a robe grier quality to his wandering where there there's at times no justification for how he suddenly got into a field or whatever and why it's night, you know? And you could point to it being, yeah, just sort of like, eh, he was just 
just stitching together whatever he could. But I, I was like actively reading it as this kind of like, um, surreal dream, like odyssey, you know, that, that from our, our, again, like opening shots of like his brain being eaten by cats. It's like there, there should be no logic really for the rest of what we see because yeah, he's, He's he's got cats in the brain, dude. Yeah, is like, that like a turn of phrase I'm unfamiliar with? Is that something people say? You got cats in the brain? Uh, I've never heard it. You know, is it is it a phrase in the way that like Sergio Leone, like you know, nearly got into a fist fight with Peter Bogdanovich over like Leone claiming that duck you sucker was a common American colloquialism, and Bogdanovich explaining like nobody says that in America, you know. <laughs> so maybe it's like an Italian thing, sure, where they're like, yeah, you know, in America they're always saying he's he's got a cat in the brain or whatever, you know. Right, maybe it's that, right. But, but no, and, and again, I think he's also, again, you talk about like greatest hits or whatever, like the black cat, he made the black cat. I mean, there are so many references visually, uh, orally. I mean, there's just so many references to things that he'd done. I mean, I don't know if either of you picked up on it, but even like the, 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 the people who were doing the music, um, who were uh, collaborators he'd worked with like several times before, like when he goes to certain sets, the musical cues are changing in a way in which they're, they're referencing previous films. He goes to a set at one point that is basically like a facsimile also of, or, you know, it looks very similar. The vibe is very similar to City of the Living Dead. Well, he just straight up reuses music. He uses the Beyond theme when he sees the paint. Yes, yes, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's he's the yeah. They're they're doing some original stuff. They're riffing, but yeah, you're right. He's also just like <laughs> literally pulling. I mean, he could like literally use the shit that he that he created. So so yeah, I mean, like for me, that's that's why it is this like disjointed mess because I I, I like to you know give him the credit of of sort of you know. Of, of thinking that actively he really is like this is this is his art house you know this is his art house movie, <laughs> sure <you know? laughs> sure i mean there's there's a cut that that is just so charged in in the beginning uh this guy that is definitely yes these are just scenes from another movie that he was making uh and he's like chopping up women and like eating them this like cannibal guy um just very much like your uncle this guy's kind of like vibe is just like an uncle who who chops up women and eats them and he's grinding up this woman into like ground meat he's taking pieces of this woman he's grinding up into ground meat and then he literally goes and just dumps it all into a pen with a bunch of pigs, you know? I mean, that's, come on, that's Fulci talking about his work, talking yeah, about the stuff that he's making. Yeah, I'm a little piggy. Yeah, he's yeah, feeding he's the slop, you know? Yeah, I eat it, I eat it all up. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking about with Coffin Holmes that, some of the gore isn't even done on the human body. I was thinking about how they talked about how so many of these coffin homes, the titular coffin homes themselves, are taking a flat and, and cutting them in half and massacring a space to stuff more bodies into it. So it was kind of like inverse gore. And I think of like the, all the different threads. That was the 
one I probably enjoyed the most, the fact that it was like all these different families being crammed into one space that was like both upsetting, but also providing some playmates for a little ghost boy. The little ghost boy has to be the best part of the movie. He's just like such a goofy looking little guy. I disagree, but that's me. (laughs) Wait, with what part of it? The little boy or the... Yeah, a little too much with the little boy, if you ask me. I'm more into... there's too much of everything. More into the butcher, you know. This movie should have been 75 minutes long. The fact that it's an hour and 47 is like kind of offensive. <laughs> it's, it, is a, it is a long movie, you know, and, and uh, you know, for again, for, for what it is. But I think it also feels longer because of, as Marsh described, that sort of like network narrative where it's like, you know, I, I often felt like I was having to like try to retrace the threads at times, um, you know, especially with like the woman and her family from the opening because they kept going back to her, but then like the family was alive again. And I was sort of like, okay, these are flashbacks or was, did, did that not actually happen? Did they not get killed? And so I found myself I constantly have no clue. sort of like retracing. <laughs> they were flashbacks. It, you know? Okay. Yes. I, I eventually was like, these gotta be flashbacks because we go back later and they've been buried or whatever. But, but yeah, you know, there's there's just a lot stuffed in. There's a lot crammed in. Like, I mean, essentially the movie is like one of these subdivided homes where you have way, way, way too much stuffed into this space. Like, it shouldn't be in in this particular space. I mean, I liked for for the record. I liked the kid, but I preferred, I think, the the grumpy old man. Oh, I, he, sure, he was sure. he was my favorite of like the the ghost characters, you know. I I really really enjoyed him. Now, I I it was a, it was a very like strange experience for me because I had seen dumplings before. I'd seen both versions years ago, but my first encounter with Fruit Chan was not in his horror or his more genre mode. My first encounter with with Fruit Chan was his movie Made in Hong Kong. Of course. And so I had always had this perspective of him that kind of got shattered by dumplings, but at the time I didn't really I hadn't seen a ton of his work, so I looked at dumplings as kind of like a one-off. And I didn't really realize like how much more like he had been invested in in doing this kind of stuff. So so while I was watching this, I felt very much like as you described in your intro, like the two chans kind of like battling in this film of of like you know, I kept thinking of Made in Hong Kong because there's a lot of similar ideas and threads and anxiety in the film about Hong Kong, about the state of Hong Kong and, you know, characters constantly talking about like saving Hong Kong and the future of Hong Kong, you know? I mean, have you seen Made in Hong Kong, Ryan? Have you ever I seen actually that? haven't, but I know it just got restored. Oh yeah, friend friend of the pod, Ryan Swen and Sean Gilman have a commentary on the new Made in oh, Hong Kong oh, Blu-ray. That's sick. Yeah. That's cool. It just got announced today. Yeah. Good job, boys. Yeah. So that movie's great, you know, but it's like it, you know, it's it has this like fatalism because that is a of course pre handover movie uh and this is a post handover movie and not just a post handover movie but a post 
you know, post, post, post. Yeah. Like post, post security post. law. <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. Post a lot of shit, you know, and as you described like pandemic. So it's like, I see all of these threads and I see what he's trying to do. And it's like, I feel like he would suddenly get into a rhythm of being like, okay, suddenly this movie is about, the price of dumplings going up. The, yeah, the price of dumplings going up, or 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 you know somebody explaining what a nano home is, you know, and us being like horrified by by these conditions, and then it's like okay, cut to ghost old man, and you know he's ripping the heads off a bunch of like triad guys or whatever, and and it's like <laughs> I feel like that is what kind of creates this like disjointed feeling that this movie is like four hours long because there's there's four hours of yeah. ideas packed in a movie and your intro was so enlightening to me marsh knowing that it was like it is well, two movies it is yeah like you <laughs> wanted it to be this and then they were like but can you shove this stuff in there and in a very like kind of fulci-esque way him just being like yeah sure fine i'll give him gore you want gore here i'll give you gore he said he you took know? three weeks to do the ghost rewrite you know, and that was <laughs> and that was that. But you're right, Andy. It has a lot of his trademark concerns, like as you know, those 90s movies are about like the underclass immigrants, like the marginalized. And I think that is, of course, what's interesting about the film and also leads to its meandering is like the focus on Jimmy, who's really like the character that kind of links everyone in the end. And he's this sort of real estate hustler uh, who's living out of the the flats he's selling. Kind of reminded me in a way of like Vive L'Amour, you know, Simon Lang, where they're all like sleeping in the, in the unrented yeah. uh, Taipei flats. But uh, yeah, he he's linking rich people Poor people, middle class people, businessmen, triads, loan sharks. Like it is, again, yes, this survey of different classes and even different races. We have the Indian family living in the coffin flat as well. Again, more commentary there. Yeah. The the Filipino uh, like servant at yes, the house. Exactly. And so, right, all that stuff is there from like what he does in, in his quote-unquote normal films, <laughs> yeah. you know. And normal is in quotation marks, but, too, because some of that yeah, stuff Yeah, is- it's, you know, it's not as successful to me as, you know, another film Gilman turned me on to is The Midnight After from 2014. And my joke is that it's it's Fruit Chan's stagecoach, but it's a sci-fi movie where Lam Suet drives a bus full of people into, like, the apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Where they go through another dimension. Yeah. And then they're like, what happened? But again, it's like a social commentary on Hong Kong of 2014, like vibing on that. Um, it's, I think, a much better film than Coffin Homes. But it's interesting to see him, like even in genre. Yeah, he he can't help but but be who he is in terms of the kinds of stories he tell or the kinds of characters he populates the world yeah. with. Because the only film of his I've actually seen, I realized, was The Longest Summer. Oh, hell and, yeah. you know, that movie rocks. That to me is like the ultimate <laughs> handover movie. So yeah. this film actually really felt in line in that sense where to me, it seemed like the primary concern was something more social and political. And then he like had some window dressing on it that spiced it up and made it fun and, and made it feel like a cartoon at the right moments. Um, but it, yeah, it's interesting. It's almost as if Coffin Homes then is what would happen if Fulci had released 
uh, Cat in the Brain and those other two movies as one movie, <laughs> you know, because it does feel as though it's hearts and like it's moving in two different directions at like any given moment in coffin homes like you never really know when it's going to settle and where you're going to be sitting to like have anything to hold on to so it's like that's what that rhythm was like kind of tough and then of course just the the (laughs) the way the thing is shot just the production quality in general just that opening scene oh my god like it is i i just can't get over how they decided to shoot it i was thinking the whole time that you know when i was in film school there was a moment where i thought like oh maybe i'll shoot stuff like maybe that'll be instead of directing my own films maybe i'll be a cinematographer i I like shooting things and then i just got like intimidated by i never got used to just like lighting something in a studio way i was always more of like a natural light guy and i kind of just like threw that aside i'm like i could compose a shot but i don't know how to light it i don't know how to plug stuff in but i'm watching (laughs) coffin homes and i'm like man oh man they just let anybody grab a camera now i mean if movies look like this Like well, you know, do you that think maybe though? Be- <laughs> do you yeah, think dude, that's harsh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you think maybe though that like that space looks like that on purpose? You know, I know it's like haphazardly shot, but like it it is an ug- it is a space full of ugly people. You know, it's a yeah, sterile I, I, it's I a sterile know. rich environment. It's not what is it supposed to look like? Oh, I just you mean know? just the way it was like. It's just so overshot. I just can't believe how many shots there are. And oh. every now and then I'm like, we got heads in the corner. Like, I don't understand. I just didn't understand the visual logic of it. There is none. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, is this what he was telling them to do? Is it just like they shot the scene a couple times in a couple different ways, maybe with more than one camera? But it's been a long time since I've seen like a film that was officially released or I wanted to be like, guys, hold on, like step aside. Let me get this fixed for yeah. you. We, <laughs> you need to get, we need to get Lucio Fulci on the set here to help you. <laughs> yeah. Stage this this massacre. Yeah, the irony is if they would have just shot sixteen millimeter, you'd be like, "Oh my god, it was so amazing!" You know. Sure. Well, but that's. I mean, I don't even think that's unfair to to say that about it because yeah, then it would have had some visual texture. This film just doesn't. <laughs> it yeah, looks it's like flat. Nothing. It's so it's like it's both shot chaotically and it's digital. Like it's just the way things work sometimes. You know. The opening is fun though. I I like the. I like the when gag. they pulled out all the axes. Yeah, that's nice. When they're that's just fun. like the, the oversized yeah. axes. Yeah. yeah, when they're like reaching off screen, they got more knives. I did laugh when it's like the granny and the woman are just like stabbing each other repeatedly, and eventually the mother says something like, "Not my face." And my first instinct was, "Yeah, too expensive. <laughs> can't, can't cut up the face." <laughs> but I did really like that. That and the the CGI like granny head getting really big is funny i like that a lot and of course fun fact for uh, you know hong kong cinema fans uh you know all of those people are are like famous in hong kong too Mm. he doesn't usually work with stars but this film probably because there's like no work going on you know (laughs) at that point these are all like famous people so i think for like hong kong audiences there'd also be a little a little charge in seeing like two three generations of uh, actresses like oh i know all these people and then all of a sudden they're just like cutting each other's heads off you know it would have a different meaning uh, to the local audience yeah i mean even later the landlord i knew i recognized him I'm like, I've seen this guy in a million things. And it was funny backing out of the film when it was over on Plex. And at the bottom, it just said, more with Tybo. And I had 
like 10 films <laughs> with this guy in them yeah. that I've all I've seen them all. <laughs> they were all films I had seen like on my hard drive. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's, I mean, he's a legend. He's in everything from some Jackie Chan films to City of Sadness, you know? Oh, like, hell yeah. He's all over the place. You know um, who else is? Uh, I was very, uh, very tickled to find out that the Butcher Ghost is played by Paul Che, a.k.a. Paul Carr, uh, who is in Troy Hark's Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind as one of the young terrorists. Hmm. But you've seen him in a million things. Very distinct, long face, as you see here as the butcher. Yeah. A very menacing kind of guy. Kind of guy. <laughs> He's he's in Johnny Toe's election and he's also in Johnny English, uh, the sequel, the second Johnny English film with Johnny um, English Reborn. (laughs) Yep, that's the one. Hell yeah. But yeah, there's, there's like, yeah, a lot of <laughs> legends sort of populating this film, uh, which is interesting, again, given like Chan's record with usually working with like non professional or non famous performers. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, I, I did enjoy the movie. And again, I, I, I think why I sort of like dug uh, our, our double feature. Um, you know, broadly speaking is because, you know, this was a week on gore and we did both bring like basically like comedies to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe we haven't highlighted that enough about, um, um, uh, Oh my God, my brain suddenly a cat um, in your brain or coffin um, home coffin homes. God damn it. I don't know. Some, why the fuck I just, so like I mean I don't think we've I don't know if we've like made that clear enough about Coffin Holmes but this is a very comedic film and the gore is often played for laughs. I mean there are some moments where you know it's it's meant to be like ooh that's that's gross but but this is you know in a way I think um uh like really encouraging us to sort of just like laugh at the absurdity of it all. So like yeah the opening sequence is like if you were to try to compare it to, yeah, like something in one of like Fulci's best films, you'd be like, eh, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. But it is like Cat in the Brain uh, by by kind of like just sort of, you know, lingering too long or, or making it too crazy or or making it ugly and really highlighting the ugliness and the wonkiness of it. Like we're, we're supposed to, I think, like chuckle at it. We're supposed to chuckle at the gore. And and certainly like when we get into moments where it's, yeah, just a bunch of like decapitated like ghosts stumbling through the hallways, just spraying, spraying, spraying fake blood of yeah as we've described like all these different colors everywhere and the human characters are slipping and and barely able to like sort of like maintain any kind of traction like it's fucking ridiculous it's goofy and 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 you're supposed to to i think yeah giggle a lot a lot at it yeah and again i i think that that's very much also fulci's intention with also highlighting some of like his worst moments of gore because like 
people who would say like, oh, it's like Fulci like doing his greatest hits. It's like, well, yes, referentially in a certain way, but as we've described, he isn't just being like, oh, I just I remember that awesome moment from City of the Living Dead. I'll just use that moment. Right, you know? yeah, he yeah. isn't using his best moments of gore. He's using his most recent moments of gore. And some of them are when you just see them kind of devoid of their context. Like, yes, clearly artificial. Like we we see... When you sort of remove the atmosphere, when you remove the buildup, when you remove a lot of the 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 narrative of like why this person is being chopped up, you kind of only see it as that, as a body being dismembered, you know, uh, decapitated, disemboweled, and you can't help but just kind of be like, Jesus Christ, is that really why? We, like, is that all we are here for? Like, when you just get it like that in your face. It is fucking ridiculous, you know? It's 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 embarrassing almost. And he certainly, like, throughout the film, has that kind of quality of being like, yeah, I'm kind of, like, embarrassed that this is what my career is really become. You know, like you said, Nazism, sadism, what's the fucking point? Like, you know, it's like, God damn it, dude. It's interesting, then, because there's, like... Yeah, as you pointed out, this is a comedy, and I read it as such. But the gore is not what's funny, like sort of in in coffin homes but it's like him and his reactions to it are what's funny and and the gore as you pointed out are these moments of almost pure spectacle completely detached from narrative Mm -hmm. so when you think about it it's like okay what is this movie it's like comedic sketches with fulci interspersed with like non-narrative gore i mean it is a very (laughs) unusually constructed film in that sense because it really yeah it my only like major issue with the film is at a certain point it's just the same thing over and over again although at various points deployed more cleverly than others like for instance my favorite sequence is when he goes home and yes. everything that he does reminds him of some gore moment. And it just like, it, it felt so sped up in that scene. Like we get so much variety, but it's like, he turns on the faucet. Whoa, he's freaking out, flashback <laughs> gore. And then he turns off the faucet. He goes to the microwave. Oh, he's freaking out. You know, like every <laughs> little thing that he does it's amazing. Like that to me was like the purest part of the film where he couldn't even complete a single task without just breaking down and imagining like some poor woman's head being just fucking chopped off or whatever. So scene also has one of the really gross, uh, probably one of the best, like in terms of just being like extremely like gross and like looking like really good, the quality of it, which is when he like drops, Uh, He's like, boy, I need a drink, right? He's going through all that, and suddenly he's like, maybe a drink will help. And of course, he like knocks over the bottle, and it breaks on the ground. Then he looks down, and there's just like a guy that's just sort of like rotting on the floor, and he has all these warm pustules. Yeah, Yeah, the warm (laughs) gore, dude. And he's got all those like pustules that that start just kind of like like just bursting on this guy's body and that yeah. shit is so gnarly that so is, sick he, no so one gross. does like a bubbling corpse the way he does the way that it's just fluids leaking out because that's you know that's probably what it would be like if you warmed up a dead body on your floor but yeah i mean that god that sequence is so funny that is the the standout moment of the film because when it goes on later on 
it's just like, okay, he's walking in another park, and now he's seeing another woman having her throat slit. It's like, all right, I guess, thanks. But, like, the, 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 the implications when he's at home just being like, He's like, I can't use the microwave because it's like, ah, fuck, remember that time I melted that woman's head in a microwave in my other film? Like, ah, I can't shake it. But so like all the all the referential gags there when it's cutting to something else. I just love the implication that he's remembering like, ah, remember when I did that? Like, damn, you know, like, look at how it's bleeding into my life. But the other ones are more seemingly based off of the way he was hypnotized by his his mad doctor who's like you're gonna imagine you're seeing all these horrible crimes so they're they're less referential because they're less based on just how is this affecting his day-to-day existence of it making it so he can't complete even the simplest human task because he's he's decayed his own brain he's just filled it with images of violence and cruelty (laughs) yeah he's rotten to the core and he's he's also of course like the cinematic spectator who watches horrific acts of violence but cannot act he can simply just look you know and that's so much of the film is him just either hallucinating or actually seeing just some horrible thing and he's just like you know giving his sort of like blank fulci look most of the time you know he's he's not overacting he's certainly underplaying it which if you're gonna do it you might as well do that i guess yeah yeah it is it is it is like kuleshov <laughs> shit i mean for sure he is just like just befuddled like he just looks confused he looks lost he looks like just kind of bummed out the whole time and yeah you know like the the moments of that are are the strongest part of the film and as you've introduced like the 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 doctor a little bit more like i mean certainly he is cert you know certainly he's trying to like kind of ham up the doctor i think also to make it like so maniacal that it's like ridiculous the way the doctor just kind of looks like like you know dick van dyke on crystal meth or whatever (laughs) and and has that like joker grin on his face the whole time like that shit is is, the cliche madman yeah that shit it's like yeah he's he's certainly trying to play it up but that is also the moment where it becomes like narrative and and as we've described, like the best parts of this movie are, are are sort of when like narrative breaks down, when we lose the thread of narrative, and we are just in the moment with Fulci in whatever that strange moment that that might be. But yeah, the doctor stuff is when it's kind of like oh they're 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 trying to get back to the plot a little bit here. Yeah. Well, this calls back to of course our Jalo episode where in. Both of the films we watched, there was uh, a psychiatrist or psychologist played by the same actor, if you recall. Yes, Um, yes. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the psychologists are uh, often a target in Italian horror films. They, you know, because they represent this sort of like attempt at logic, right? And so they're often these ridiculed figures. So it made total sense to me that that would be like, the villain. The villain always is, yeah, the, the false doctor yeah. who claims that they can explain something about, you know, humanity or Lucio Fulci and like they can't, you know. Um, so just wanted to, yeah, just remember the doctors we've already had on the show. I, I, uh, I couldn't forget. I couldn't forget. <laughs> the doctor, I guess. You know? Yeah. But those are some of the scenes where it's a little like, I, you know, I see what you're saying, especially Ryan. I've just kind of been like, yeah, it's like, you know, the doctor stuff is like take it or leave it. But but that's not the the real like you know best part of the movie yeah i mean the best part of coffin homes right is probably the climax at the end 
when we got like well, yeah, three the, the severed the heads splatter and, shit yeah, yeah. That, well, that's like so fun in terms of gore like yeah i mean that kind of delivers because again like you know this isn't a competition you know but it kind uh, of is but you know when you were like, I want gore, I want buckets and buckets of blood. I partly went with this one because I was like, I know it's just that it's like wall to wall gore, and there are a lot of as we've described because of the the disjointed nature of Fruit Chan's own production. Like there are big chunks of the film where there's no gore at all. Um, but I would probably say, more gallons of blood. I mean, yeah. I mean, certainly when they're all spraying, it's it's a yeah. lot of it's a it's lot of quite, a, blood. Bit. It's quite yeah. a bit. But but the point that I'm trying to make is that like I didn't think that that was the best part of the movie. To me, I felt the best part of the movie was actually like when when I suddenly forgot about that this was also like a gore movie, and I was just watching it as like yeah, a fruit chan movie, like without and, principle too. And know? like, dude, yeah. yeah, the the there's this really like beautiful moment in the film where they're in the the you know the subsidized like living quarters or whatever, and they're kind of you know that's his 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 biggest kind of like yeah social thesis moment of the film where they're describing the living conditions and then they're describing how these living conditions are created systemically through speculation and through the market and you get this very kind of like touching moment of everybody kind of coming together and 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 leaving all of us with this important question of like yeah why the fuck does this go on like that middle chunk there where we are just with all these families stuffed into these like horrible conditions like yeah that's the true horror of the movie and and that's i think what i was most like impressed by and 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 why i was kind of like oh yeah i mean again compare that sequence to like the opening and i'm like right. yeah okay <laughs> like here's the director here's a good director that i know and it's here in these moments of like humans like um trying to commiserate through the 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 spiritual and existential violence of you know quote now you know communist hong kong or whatever right uh yeah. the, the new hong kong and and how the promises of whatever was supposed to i guess change this system for the better have seemingly in his view and i think a lot of other people's views just made things worse for everybody right i mean like living conditions have always been very bad very cramped in hong kong but here in this film he's presenting it as like folks it is worse than ever before it isn't just that people are living in cramped conditions it's also that there are huge sections of the city that are just vacant because of these market speculations and they're they they have to i mean the craziest part of the movie is this whole like the thread, the scheme of being like we're, we're gonna pay people to pretend to live in these apartments to avoid some sort of tax yeah the vacancy tax and also to have lights on to appear that they're full so people will want to rent them yeah and that it, it looks like this shining prosperous city right it's all this like image of of like the new Hong Kong, the better Hong Kong. And meanwhile, yeah. like, yeah, everyone is just like suffering and sharing a hot plate, like in a nano home or yeah. whatever. Because that's the thing. That's what's like actually like truly deeply unsettling. Like that's almost more unsettling than anything in the Fulci film. You know, well, like, sure. And also it was like big time in the news during COVID because guess what? Like, yeah, during the pandemic, 
living in those coffin homes, often with like one air conditioning unit for like 19 people, uh, is very bad condition, very bad conditions normally, extremely bad conditions for uh, a pandemic, you know? But it also made me think too, I wonder if he turned to like, a ghost story because of that as well, you know, the sort of the specter of death of 2020, 2021, you know? Mm. Sure, sure. I mean, there is, again, my my association with Fruit Chan has always been this kind of like, um, yeah, and I mean, there's like a, a literal image of this, if I go all the way back to my very first experience with Fruit Chan in, in Made in Hong Kong, this idea of like dancing in graveyards, you know, in that movie, it kind of ends with this, I mean, they're just like, running around in like the fucking like overstuffed graveyards of Hong Kong that overlook the city. And it's like that kind of, uh, uh, macabre, but playful fatalism that I see in, in a lot of his films. And, and yeah, I, I, when you put it in those terms of it being this movie about the pandemic and about all the people who died and were dying and are still fucking dying while they were making this movie. It's like, yeah, th- these are these are the ghosts of of the past Hong Kong, but these are also the ghosts of the present Hong Kong. And they're here. They're all around us and we can hide them, try to ignore them. Or in this case, I guess at a certain point, pragmatically like negotiate yeah. living conditions them with to, them because yeah, they're them not going contracts. away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it is that kind of like fatalism also of like, there's no real way out of this. I guess we just have to like come to terms with it, you know, like that's the, yeah, the scariest part. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it really is a pandemic film in that sense too, of just using that crisis to like, I just think about them saying, how like, okay, I'll take the death flat, you know, I'll take the flat that has a ghost. I'd rather live with this ghost and live with this curse because I'll be able to afford it. <laughs> I can, you can help me cut a deal with this too. And like that just, you know, broadly bleeds in with that idea of you, you're faced with a crisis um, and the way people take advantage of it just because you know, <laughs> you'd be able to cut a deal. Like how bad could it be? Like, I guess I'll just like live with this agony and do something I know is, is deeply upsetting, but we are in this position where that's the only way you can sort of get by in the hellscape that people are living in right now. So yeah, pretty scary, pretty scary, but still like ultimately a film that has like some cartoon joy to it. People pissing their pants in elevators and rolling human heads for, for bowling balls, people flying around, lots of different colors of blood people slip i i do really love them like slipping and sliding on all the blood and like falling on the bones that's a nice touch yeah 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 i mean it's (laughs) it's like i i i certainly like agree with a lot of your overall take of the film but but yeah you know when when it like clicks the movie clicks in a way that is like very fun very like vibrant and it moves it just like grinds at times slowly to a halt for several reasons, you know? And, and again, like the Fulci film does that too a bit, you know, like there are moments where it's clicking and it's humming and it's moving and we're getting lots of different things and, and lots of moments of like really fun gore. I mean, I think one of my favorite moments is just like this, like he's in this, he goes to, I guess like it's his producer's house, right? Is his producer Gabriella. And he's going to to talk to him because, you know, he's really like, isn't that the cop? Gabriella? Yeah. No, Gabriella. I thought Gabriella was like his producer. He keeps like dealing with him throughout the film. I thought he was the inspector. 
Maybe in the English version, he's different. (laughs) Yeah, he seems he. Well, that's a good question. I I thought that he was his producer because they're at like Chinachita together. I mean, I guess maybe he he showed up at Chinachita. Maybe Wikipedia says Officer Gabrielli. Oh, Officer. I I I yeah. Maybe the English version. (laughs) He comes off more as this like producer or whatever. But he. But he like goes to his house and he's like looking for him. Oh yeah. And that's when we get like a string of like very brutal moments. And and I one think one very famous moment. One very famous moment. Yeah, Is it- Psycho? Oh yes, yeah, Psycho, <laughs> right. Yeah, Fulci gets to do his psycho shower, his 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 shower scene, which of course lacks a lot of the elegance of, of Hitchcock's <laughs> <Certainly>. shower <laughs> by comparison, but but yeah, you know, it's it's like again him being like, you know, oh yeah, I love Hitchcock, you know, and and they were all like we talked about it, I think in the Jalo episode that you know again the enterprising Italian film industry, it's like they all saw Psycho and then they were like, hey, we got to get on the Psycho stuff, but we got to you know we got to spice it up a bit, we got to really like zero in. It's like all <laughs> our movies should spice just be, it up. <laughs> yeah, the shower scene, like we all just got to do the shower scene over and over again. But I was thinking more. My favorite one was there's like. The implication is that it's one of Gabriella's like children, like his child, and he's just kind of riding around on like a tricycle. And then just out of nowhere, a fucking chainsaw comes in and just decapitates a child riding a tricycle like yeah. in a very like clean swipe. <laughs> that was gonna be I was gonna like cap this off with the prize. The the prize of my favorite kill from the two films was like absolutely just the out of nowhere boy getting his head sliced off with a chainsaw, and then the fact that there's a montage later of like every decapitation we see in that movie, and we get to see the kid's head come off a second time, (laughs) just to have the balls to like slice off a child's head in a film. There's part of me that can't help but like doff my cap to him. I fucking knew it. I knew it when I was watching. I was like, I kept being like, all right, Ryan said he was going to sort of award a prize here. And I kept, <laughs> as I was watching, I was like, which one is it going to be? And when the kid on the trike got his yeah. fucking head lopped off by the chainsaw, I was like, if it ain't this one, I don't know which one <laughs> is going to be it for Ryan. But I, was I just like, like sure. it's, it's always to say anything like that. Just when it's one step too far, I can't help but, <laughs> I can't help but be a little charmed and laughed. Um, well, apparently bowling with heads is no big deal to this guy. <laughs> no, that's that like it's the great. close second. Absolutely. Oh, it's just because it, it's like a boy's head. I just like, and then he was on a tricycle, yeah, you know. It's true. I, I, I remember. Look, I, I worked it look. all out in my head. It's like it's a kid on a tricycle. <laughs> There's no reason why it should have happened. He's gonna fucking go gaga over that. Yeah. Look, yeah. I remember, you know, going all the way back when I saw Fa- uh, Ichi the Killer at Facets in its initial run, and when Ichi roundhoused that child's head off. Oh yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that. To say nothing of well, the other things that happen in that movie. Oh, that's but, a gross one, yeah. You know, it's the Hitchcock talk has me once again back to, you know, to Eisenstein, because that's also what uh, Fulci and these guys learned, is that no matter how many sources your film comes from, no matter, no matter how haphazardly it's constructed, like, cuts work, you know? Uh, and that's it. You know, he gets that. Like, this whole movie is a kind of, you know, Kuleshavian thing. I was joking with you guys beforehand. Like, I watched The Black Cat. That's all it is. It's a fucking cat. So it's just all associational editing, right? And he 
understands that at its core, you know? So, like, yeah, it makes it a, a fun, fun house, you know, of just that. Like, yeah. what's kind of sad is, you know, when you read more about like Fulci and, and like his legacy, that this, this movie also came at a time when, yeah, he, I mean, he really was the guy that you see in this movie. Like, he really was depressed. He really was like, man, this is it. Like, this is where I'm at now, I'm making these just dumb fucking movies like the Nazi slicing movie. little boys heads off. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the Nazi orgy movie where it's not even like sexy. It's like, Oh, these Nazis are having an orgy and it's like, they, they can't even like fake it. Right. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's, that's like the Bad heart vibes. isn't in it. You know? Yeah. The heart isn't in it. And that's of course also him just constantly going like film it more, more, do it more, show Young it all. Orgy. Yeah. Sadism, sadism, yeah. Man. You know, it's like, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he's, he's like, yeah, it's so fucking awesome, but that's it. Like he's just like, yeah, that's it. This is what I am. I'm just this guy, and I just do this for all these fucking people. And he really did like kind of look back on like, man, I I I had designs on being a director, but then I forgot. I I I work in the Italian industry or whatever, and I wasn't an Antonioni. I wasn't a. I wasn't even a Fellini, you know, I was a Fulci. I was, I was one of these guys. I was an Argento on my best day or whatever, you know? And he had this, uh, I, I read like, you know, he really did kind of feel like he was a, a fake and he wasn't good and that, you know, he just made these like bad movies. Like even looking back on like The Beyond and City of the Living Dead, like these are movies now in the world of like horror and true like horror aficionados. These are considered like masterpieces of a certain kind. And and Fulci honestly thought like they were they were like no better than like the bad, the the, the clearly like bad <laughs> movies he made. Yeah. And I read that like near the end of his life, uh, he was shocked when he discovered, like, especially in now the, the era of like home video, like what a huge following he had of even like his older horror movies. And that he was just like, I, I'm a star, I guess, to a lot of people. Like he thought he was just like this, this absolute hack and was totally unaware and oblivious to like how revered his like we could say certainly like the the zenith of his career like how revered he actually was by that point you know and it was i guess a nice thing for him like before he died but like this movie really is just like him yeah, absolutely being like, like somebody, I'm a hack. yeah. <laughs> somebody shoot me. Somebody yeah. fucking put a bullet in me. <laughs> like put me out of my misery. Yeah. I f I found <laughs> I found in my research I found something funny I want to I want to share with you. Uh just cuz this like gets into uh the real weirdos of the era. Uh unfortunately it's not good news, but check out check this out. In John Martin's superb zine, Giallo Pages, reviewer Daryl Buxton takes Fulci to task and declares that the film, quote, carries the distinct feel of an embittered swan song to a genre career. The reviews in Craig Ledbetter's inestimable European trash cinema were less generous. 
a pathetic fucking film, rails editor Ledbetter, and one that seriously impairs further appreciation of what's left of Fulci's talents. In another issue of European Trash Cinema, reviewer Max Max Della Mora calls it a movie which will embarrass even the most diehard Lucio Fulci fans. This film will leave a bitter taste in your mouth. And I'm just like thinking like these like self-serious Jalo guys in like 1990, man. Holy shit. Like chill out. Like (laughs) this movie's funny. Take it easy. I hate to to break it to you, Della Mora or whatever the fuck your name is or Ledbetter. But like, I'm sorry. I, I hate to be the one to tell you this. You're the pig. That he was like throwing yeah, the fucking totally. slop to. That's who you are. That's what he thinks of you. You fucking like, yeah, like blowhard. Like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Sorry. When I saw European trash cinema and Jalo pages, I just had to, to tell you what they thought. Of course, yeah, dude, of get, course. Get wrecked, dude. Like, get fucking out of here. Because again, like, you know what? That's that is that is also like what explains the fucking ending of the movie. Like these fucking assholes, and then it's just. Fulci, like, getting onto a boat, his own boat, by the way, his own yacht that he named Perversion, you know? He sails off on the SS Perversion as everyone, like, says goodbye to him. Actually, I wanted to bring that up. I kind of want to get to that because the ending is, I think, quite interesting. And again, why I think some people are like, this is Fulci's effort fake because we get kind of, like, multiple sort of fourth wall breaks in that moment. And I think that leads to certain confusion as to everything that precedes uh, those moments. And I just wanted to kind of get both of your takes on that ending because we basically get like the ending repeated like multiple times with something new kind of being added and and yeah well it's like he's actually at that point finally it's it's taking it a step further he's actually finishing a cat in the brain where throughout there's this meta quality of the the films are infecting his real life and then at the end of this film it's it's now taking like two steps back where we realize then this whole thing in a very effort fake way was just a film for us that, you know, we are now seeing the fact that he was making three films at the same time. To me, that's why I enjoyed it. Like when he's fishing with the, the ears, he's like, well, I have to actually finish my nightmare for everyone. And then when he's waving goodbye, it's like, it's not even his character anymore. It's the real Lucio Fulci saying goodbye to, to his crew of a cat in the brain. <laughs> that's how I interpreted it. Cause we get right, we get like cut, and he gets on the boat, and he's like goodbye or whatever. They're, they're filming like him saying goodbye, and then we get like cut again, right? Don't we get cut like twice? I think that's all part of this. No, they go, they go down. <gasps> the chainsaw revs. You hear her being murdered, and the camera zooms into the black. There's no like calling cut. He comes out of the black with a bowl of hands, which he then puts on the fishing pole right. uh, to fish, as bait. Right. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. he calls cut. It reveals the cat and the brain crew, and the woman Lily comes out of the the hatch. Right, uh, she's alive. And then they sail off into. The and sun. then they yes. sail yeah, off yeah. into the sunset. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I, I got that so. I mean, again, like this movie, <laughs> you, 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 know. you thought there was one more cut in there. Yeah. 
I kept, I kept thinking there was like one more. You know card. what? I don't know, you know. Unfortunately, there was. When this film was released in Italy, against his wishes and against his knowledge, the Italian producers cut it after he murders the girl and it zooms into the black and he was beside himself. Oh, I'm you sure. Know? I can like, imagine. Yeah. The whole point of the movie is the reveal, you know, like, right, or right. like that. He, yeah, he was fucking pissed. So, uh, they did it. They did it to him. You know, they, they ended him as the murderer. Yeah. Yeah. The producers thought the piggies wouldn't understand, I guess. Just yeah. like one more indignity to get heaped on right. at the very right. end. He can't right even at the end. He can't even make his fucking, you know, eight and a half. Like they'll, 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 they'll take that away from his yeah. ass. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, I enjoyed being the piggy this week. Uh, you both gave me a good, like, grounded up bit of beef uh, in both situations, and I gobbled it up, so I appreciate that. Thank you thank you for these blood and guts. Uh, it, it is nice to feel like the piggy every now and then, I think. Um, You're welcome. So you delivered. You delivered. You're also, you know, I mean, I don't know how you would have reacted to some of the stuff that I came across, but like... Yeah, that, the German and Japanese stuff, that, that extreme stuff is, is too much. <laughs> well, these were our blood and guts. Yes. Why don't you uh, cut yourself open and uh, tell us about yours? Yeah, the one I'm going to recommend is one I, I just watched. Just a fantastic film. It had been on my radar for a while, and it, I, I guess it like Kino put out a Blu-ray a few years ago, and I hadn't realized. Um, but it's this French film from, I think it was the late 80s, maybe early 90s, called Baby Blood. And the, st- the story of this film, it's like a French extreme horror film. It predates that a little bit, but with a sense of humor. It's kind of cartoonish. It starts in Africa, where th- this man is buying leopards and lions for his circus in paris and or at least in like the you know small town suburbs of france and he buys this this leopard that is infected with some sort of creature that is going to create like the dawn of a new like race and civilization that will like destroy all of humankind and at the circus this leopard explodes out of nowhere one day and this like slithery worm thing crawls inside a woman who works at the circus and she becomes impregnated with this new creature and the film is her having like an open dialogue with the monster inside her belly that is able to like communicate to her like telepathically they're able to have conversations and she has to go around killing all these gross men in france to like suck on their blood to like provide sustenance for this baby and it is just non-stop colorful perverse it's very episodic she just goes around as like killing all these men but it just it it never stops delivering every new gore gag is like a totally different level you've got everything you can imagine from a pregnant horror film too you got people bursting out of the belly at one point after the baby is born and it looks like a normal baby it sheds that skin and there's a really great like skin suit of an infant that flops onto the pavement um and the idea of even having to make something like that is so funny um it's very it's great i think you would both love it i thought it was going to be much more vicious and scary because french extreme stuff is like a little 
too much for me sometimes. Yeah. But this movie is like colorful, zany, and has like a very dark sense of humor. So everyone has got to see Baby Blood. That is, uh, that's been a recent delight for for Blood and Guts. Molly and I had a very great time watching it. Very good, very good. Very yeah, good. but yeah, I'm, I'm a piggy. Um, th- thank you for for filling my bellies. Now, Marsh, what? Uh, you'll be the piggy next week. What what can yes. what kind of what can I feed you? Oh yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, just as you know, Andy the other week. Uh, was sort of anticipating a, a new movie when we looked at, you know, when we went to the Gauntlet Motor Speedway, sort of in anticipation of Ferrari. You know, I was thinking by the time this episode uh, comes out, you know, who else is going to have a, a new movie out? That's right. Martin Scorsese. Ever heard of him? Uh, he's been <laughs> in the news a lot, you know, thinking about our old pal, Marty. And, you know, I thought we would uh, honor him uh, in a way uh, that he would appreciate uh, watching films he likes. And so I want you to pick two films from the World Cinema Project. There's 54 of them. I know, Ryan, you were making a point to try and see all of them at some point. I'm sure there's some some you, haven't, goal, yeah. <laughs> some you haven't seen still, right? So, plenty, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought we would celebrate Killers of the Flower Moon by looking at some world cinema, courtesy of uh, our old pal, the director himself. So Very bring nice. me your world cinema projects, and uh, we'll see. We'll see you next week. He really is doing the Lord's work. <laughs> That's right. Uh, As always, you can follow us on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, all your local podcast dealers. And you can send us emails at gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Gotta 想做牛肉的